thank you. I have called her Madison and Meredith, but her name is Madeline. Madeline, thank you for leading us this morning, and also thank you, Harrison, for sharing your talent with us today also. Some days I don't know my name. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 10, we'll be reading verses 22 through 25. Let's read those together this morning as, as we begin. But um, if you will, if you have your scriptures open, I'm going to back up to verse number 19 and read through 25 because I'm going to reference these verses also. And it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Father, help us this morning to hear, help us to understand, help us to set everything else in our life aside this morning other than your word and what it has to say to us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I had the opportunity this week to see a friend of mine He's at least 30 years older than I am, probably 35 years older than I am. And I'm not going to tell you how old he is because then you subtract to know how old I am. But I saw my friend this week, and he, um, uh, he had his grandson with him. And I was walking, and I um, had headphones in. But I could hear a voice hollering, hey, preacher, hey, preacher. And I took my headphones out, and the little boy was yelling at me. And so I stopped and spoke to him for just a a few minutes. And the friend of mine has um, been retired for many years, has uh, lived life as a retired person. And now he has come back, and he has adopted his grandson. And we spoke for just a moment, he, and he told me, he said, Michael, this is the most wonderful age. Three years old is the most wonderful age. And I was thinking back about three years old, and it was a wonderful age. Um, if only I'd have been about 23 instead of 33, and I'd have had more breath. But I thought about that, and as I was walking away, and as I parted with my friend, and he went to his car, and I continued to walk, I thought to myself two thoughts. I thought, wow, I hope that that, I hope someday when I'm retired and when I'm that age, I'm not having to raise uh, a three-year-old. I thought about how hard that would be. But then a second thought popped into my head, and I thought, I hope I would be willing to drop everything and to take that child and to raise him. That's family. That's family. That's what family is. That's what family is about. It's about putting aside everything else and every other motive and every other thing and 
and the plan that you may have had and the dreams that you may have had and the things that you thought may family happens somewhere in there sometimes and you adjust yourselves and you adjust your dreams and you adjust what you're doing and you take those things and you you because they are family and that's what is most important all of us have an earthly family but more importantly than that if we are a child of God we're a follower of Jesus a Christian we're a part of a much greater expanded family the family of God and we live out that daily as a part of a body of local believers God has placed us here among this group and he's put us here we've prayed about where we should be after we become a Christian we pray about where it is that we should serve and where we should be and God has placed us here together in this family of faith this uh, local body of believers and so this morning, I want to talk about this family of faith that we're a part of. And God has made it possible for us to be a part of his family. He made a way for us to be a part of his family. Paul makes it very clear to us in Romans chapter 1, verse number 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God uh, unto salvation. And then he, there's a comma there, and he makes a statement to the who first to the Jew first and then to the Greek or to the Gentile you see there was a part there was a part of time and a part of history up until Christ gave himself as our substitute on a cross to where this uh, family of God was offered to the Jew first and when Jesus came and he was rejected by his own then God opened up a way and he included, and that word Greek is really inclusive to say that everyone outside of the Jewish faith was then offered this great salvation. So God made a way through Jesus Christ and he has left us explicit instructions of how to live in this family of his. This passage of scripture we are going, we're examining this morning, it gives us encouragement that we are not alone in this journey. And we've been placed in a family of faith to help us get through this life together. And though this uh, is kind of a mystery, we don't know exactly for 100% sure who the writer of Hebrews is. Now, throughout my sermon, I'll say the writer of Hebrews. I may slip up every now and then and say Paul, because I believe that it was Paul who wrote Hebrews. But... We don't know 100% for sure who it was who wrote it, so I'm going to refer to him as the writer of Hebrews. But we do know this. We do know he was a preacher and that he had great pastoral instincts. And we know that up until this point, up until Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 18, he has been painstakingly pointing out the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the new covenant as compared to the old covenant that those who were receiving this letter were formerly under. You see, he takes a great deal of effort here from Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 up to Hebrews chapter 10 verse number 18. He takes a great deal of effort to explain the doctrine of the supremacy of Jesus Christ as compared to the old covenant, the law, that the Hebrews used to be under. And so he has, he has staked all this out and he set it up and he's 
to explain to them and he's reminded them how at one time there was a point in time to where there was only one man, a high priest, who one time every year could go behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies and he could offer up a sacrifice for the sins of all the people of the nation of Israel. Only, only that one man had access to that, that place. And he says to the Hebrews, now beginning in this passage of Scripture that we're looking at, he says, now through what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross in having his flesh torn, he's torn down that curtain, he's torn down that veil, and now you have access to God directly without anyone being in your way. The great summation of this epistle to the Hebrews is this, there is no man to stand in between us. There's no veil, there's no curtain, but each one of us can come to God for himself and we can lay before the throne of grace the petitions we desire of him. In verse number 20 it says that there is a new living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Jesus Christ gave us, not only did he give us access to God through his death, but now he has become our advocate with God because of his death and his resurrection and his living for us um, and giving his life for our sins. So let's look at these points very quickly this morning. First of all, we share a common faith of assurance. We share, there's a lot of traits that we share as family. Um, there's a lot of different things that we share if, if we're family members. Um, biologically. But as Christians, as believers, we share these things in common. First of all, we share a common faith of assurance. The verse here in verse number 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. The writer has done his due diligence in teaching them doctrine, and now he takes them and he says, Because you know these things about Jesus, now here is your duty, and these are the things that you are supposed to do. And he begins to tell them, first of all, that you draw near with a true heart. With a true heart. He says this heart is what, he describes it in a way that we understand that it's a heart where it's not just what we say, and it's not just the language that we use, it's not just the verbiage that we use. We're not just going around spouting scripture and saying that we believe this or we believe that, but that people can actually see and understand through our life and through our commitment and through our deeds, that our heart is true and it represents God himself. The heart represents our whole inner life. The heart is what God knows about us. The heart is what God understands about us. The heart is how God knows us. And, and the writer here is saying that there has to be an inner sincerity from our whole being that we have to be true, that we have to be whole, that we have to be completely genuine, wholehearted, that we don't have motives that are mixed in our service to God. We're not looking at God and saying, hey, God, I'll do this if you'll do this, and we don't have divided loyalties. We don't, have a, we don't compartmentalize our lives to say that on Sunday I come and I sit in church and I'm a Christian, but Monday through Saturday... I don't really live the way that I say that I am. On, I, I, I am who I am everywhere that I am, and I am true 
and there's no divided loyalties with me. I have a pure and an unmixed devotion to God. In Hebrews 9.14, he, uh, the writer explains how this happens, how this change comes about in our life when he says that he purified our conscience from dead works to serve a living God. We, don't know, we no longer are serving something dead. We are alive and we're serving a God who is living. Now think about that word there. He says, in a full assurance of faith. Now think about that word for just a minute, assurance. That is a really wonderful word, assurance. What, what, are the thing, what is something that you know that you can be 100% assured of in this life? Is there anything in this life that you can really be 100% assured of? We live in Alabama and it's June and July. You can be assured that it's going to be humid and in the afternoon there's going to be lots of lightning and thunder. I'm assured of that. I know that's going to happen. I've lived here for a long, long time, 52 years, and I know that every summer that's what's going to happen. I'm assured of it. But there's not a lot of things in this life that we can be 100% assured of. But I can tell you this. When I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I can be assured of this. My, my faith is, is secure in Him, and it is a word that removes all doubts. It is a word that eliminates uncertainty. When I have that assurance in Jesus, my life is different. My life is stronger. My faith is greater. And when I am living in that way with that true heart, I have that full assurance of faith. And it is a wonderful place to be. The Lord wants us to have full assurance. The Lord doesn't want you going around wondering, am I or am I not or, or, or where am I today in my relationship with him? In verse number 14, he says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We can have full assurance that Jesus is not finished with us yet. And we can have full assurance that he wants to keep working on us until the day that we meet him where we can be perfected as he is. Now, when I quench the Holy Spirit in my life, I can impede that ability to have full assurance in Jesus. When I sin, when I cover, uh, when, when, I, when I go and when I'm not kindling that fire of the Holy Spirit in my life, when I'm not reading, when I'm not praying, when I'm not living with this true heart, then there are times when that assurance is not there, but God wants me to live in full assurance. So we share a common faith of assurance with the Lord Jesus Christ, and we share a common faith of hope. Verse number 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Now, I've watched at least 150 episodes of Deadliest Catch. And I know that when the storm comes, I've watched every one of those uh, captains of those boats look for a place where they can get behind something. When those great winds and those huge waves are coming, they look for the biggest barrier that they can get behind. And what do they do? They drop an anchor. They drop an anchor in the water, and here's their hope. Their hope is that that anchor will hold them secure 
and that that barrier will keep the wind from them and that it will keep them from sinking. And so far, every episode, it's worked. All right? I don't know that, um, you know, I don't know how that really works when there's not producers and editors and directors around, but I know so far in every episode, the anchor has held and they've all made it back to, back to wherever they're going to. How many of you have been in a storm of life and you've been tossed about by what happens out of nowhere in life and, and life comes at you hard and you get knocked off your feet and you're trying to move forward and you find, you, you're trying to find a place where you can just stand and be firm and hold on and you find that anchor in the Lord Jesus Christ. You find that hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that anchor is the most important piece of equipment on that boat at the time. And the hope that we have in Jesus is the most important things in our lives at, at points in times. We live in a world where sometimes there's little hope. A professor named William Marston of New York University asked 3,000 people this question. What do you have to live for? And he was shocked to discover that 94% of the people who responded were simply enduring the present while they waited for the future. Their responses were something like this. I'm waiting for something to happen. I'm waiting for next year. I'm waiting for a better time. I'm waiting, maybe waiting for somebody to die and inherit money. Or I'm simply just waiting for tomorrow. We're just waiting for something better to come along. But when our hope is in Jesus, when our security is in Jesus, that hope helps us to believe our beliefs and to starve our doubts. We feed our beliefs with the hopes of Jesus. We starve the doubts of this world with the hopes of Jesus. And we share and hold fast that confession of hope. Now he goes on with the next couple of words and says, without wavering. Without wavering. Because this church that the writer is addressing here is wavering at this point. This, this group of Jewish converts are wavering right now. Many of these people are the people that we met in Acts chapter 2. If you're a daily Bible reader, you've read about these people in Acts chapter 2, and you know that there was a point there at, uh, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, Simon Peter preached a great sermon, their ranks went from 120 people to 3,120 people. And at the end of chapter 2, in verses 41 through 47, we see the great things that were happening there in that great church in Jerusalem and how the Bible says that the people were being added every day, multiplying the numbers. And it goes on that way. There are some of their leaders who are persecuted, and there are some of their um, the, the most vocal people who suffer some persecution, but mo for the most part as a church, they're unhindered and they're free to move about and to spread the gospel of Jesus until we get to the end of chapter 7 and we see Stephen being martyred for the cause of Christ and James has been executed and now many of these people that the writer is addressing here, they've had to flee from Jerusalem and they've had to go into places as refugees, into places where they're unwelcome, places like Samaria. And now these people have 
many of the church members have started to be imprisoned. And many of the church members are starting to be martyred for their faith in Christ. And now these believers are wavering between continuing in the faith of Jesus or going back to their old rituals and the old ceremonies and the old service of the temple. Now, there's a parallel between the Hebrew church and the church of today. Dr. W.A. Criswell, the, the great pastor of First Baptist Dallas for many years in the 20th century, said these words in January 1960, but I think they hold true today on July 8, 2018. He said, we ourselves find ourselves in a like place as this little band of Hebrew Christians did back there. It is so easy to turn the spiritual ministries of Christ into ceremonies and rich, dead and decayed and meaningless, things to be done, to get over with, and then to forget until the time of respectability demands that we come back and repeat those same rituals again. A lot of that sounds like the church of today, where a lot of times we just get into a routine and a ritual, and we sit here and we sing the songs and we pray the prayer, and then when the man gets up to bring the word of God, we begin to do this. And we begin to do this. And we begin to, well, I didn't bring my phone up here. We begin to scroll through. And we treat the word of God that way. But we have a hard time, as Christians today, we have a hard time relating to the plight of this group of, of believers because of a thing that we call cultural Christianity. So there's not much persecution among us. There's not much um harm being done to us we see a few infringements here and there but for the most part we don't understand what this group is going through but yet there are parallels between them and us today but based on the finished work of Jesus Christ in Hebrews 9 28 the writer says this so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. Based on the finished work of Christ and based on his resurrection and return, we still share a common faith of hope. You see, these people were wanting to be taken out of the situation that they were in. They were suffering persecution to the point that they were wavering about going back to where they had been before. Just like the children of Israel there, as they were wandering in the wilderness, they were willing to go back to slavery. These people in this church are wavering. And, and the writer here says, come with full assurance of hope without wavering. Our sins are forgiven and heaven is sure and that should be our hope. And we should share that together. And we share a common faith of love. Look at verse number 22. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good work. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, there's this sequence of words. It says, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Love. That we share a common faith of love. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another. In, in a lot of versions, it doesn't say stir up, it says provoke. But think about those two phrases. Think about that word provoke. If you provoke somebody into doing something most of the time, what does it normally turn? You're provoking them. Provoking is normally seen in a negative sense. Or stirring up is normally seen in a negative sense. But here the writer uses it in a positive sense. We are to provoke each other. We are to prod each other. We are to help each other along 
into growing in our relationship of love. Love's consideration provokes more love. When you love someone and when you show them that love, that love grows. And love's consideration provokes us to good works. I see so many examples of people who are Christians, people in our church and people throughout our community who because of the love of Jesus in their heart, I see them going and about and doing so many good works for other people, some that other people that many other people will never know about. And so we also share this common faith of love. As a family, we love one another. Do we always like each do you always like everybody in your family? I can tell you that at some point in the last seven days, the three people in my immediate family, there has been at least one point to where every one of them would say, I love him, but I don't like him. And they all said amen at the same time. The problem is not in whether they like me. I'm not always likable. That's, that's hard for y'all to believe. But the problem would be in when, we, when that interfered with our love. Now, in this sanctuary this morning, outside of the people in your immediate family, these are the most important people in your world, the most important in your Sunday school class, in, your, in this body of believers here. These are the most important people in your world, the people you should depend on the most. Are you always going to like each other? Be honest, no. But we always love each other. And if our common interest is the spreading of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, then at those moments when we may get crossways and we may not like each other, God will take care of us through loving us through it and us finding the solution because we love each other. Amen? Look at your neighbor and tell him I love you. Oh, come on now. Look at your neighbor and tell him you love, I love you. There you go. All right? That was hard for some of y'all. That was difficult. But we share a common faith of love. How much did God love us? What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his what? Only begotten son. That he who would never perish but have eternal life. Everlasting life. That's love. That's love. And that's how we are to love one another. One of the greatest examples of love is forgiveness, forgiving one another when we don't like each other and, and, and doing those things. I, three people here this morning owe me a forgiveness. Amen? I'll take lunch. As a, uh, I'll take that. But finishing up this morning, we also share a common faith of anticipation. Look at verse number 25 as this wraps up. He says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not neglecting to meet together. How important is it for us to be together here this morning in worship? How important is it for us to be together here this morning in worship? You live on different streets. Some of you live in different cities. Some of you live in different places. You, 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 you may have no other common interest other than the Lord Jesus Christ but we come here this morning, and the most important thing that we can do today is to meet together and honor God and give Him glory through our meeting together. Now, in this day and time that we live, um, there are so many other things that get in the way of us being here. I know that some people have jobs that are in health care or, or different fields, law enforcement, and sometimes they can't be here. Sometimes our people in the military can't be here. But there's no other reason outside of sickness that should keep us from being here and meeting together on Sunday morning. No other reason. 
It is so important because we need each other and we need to be with each other as Christians as often as we can. We are doing life together. We are going through this journey together and the more often we come together and the more we do this together, the better we get through it with the Lord Jesus Christ. I've noticed this summer some of our Sunday school classes doing things together, going places together, sharing fellowship together. What a wonderful thing that is to see that happening. We meet together. We meet together to encourage one another, to give testimony to one another, to pray with one another, to sing praise with one another, to examine scripture with one another. These are the reasons that we come together. And when we find laziness or we find other things to do and we when we can't come together and do those things we suffer as a body we suffer individually and we suffer as a body it's like taking a a a pile of charcoal and you light that charcoal on fire and you see those red embers begin to glow but if you take one of those charcoal briquettes and you pull it away and you put it over here by itself, what happens to it very quickly? It begins to die. The flame begins to go out. And when we separate ourselves from the body of Christ, when we find reasons other, and we find other places to be other than being together, and we pull ourselves apart, then we begin, we are not a part of that kindling fire that's going on. We find comfort in the anticipation of thinking about being together on Sunday morning or being together uh, whenever we meet, we find comfort in anticipation of being together in those situations, and we also find comfort in knowing through the Scriptures here that the Lord is going to return for us someday and to take us out of this world. Now, I want to ask a question this morning. When is the last time that you seriously gave consideration before you got to Sunday school this morning and your Sunday school lesson was on Revelation chapter 21, when was the last time you gave serious consideration a hope of anti and anticipation of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Somebody said something last night. Me too, brother. Me too. This morning. This morning. I am living in anticipation knowing that the Lord is going to return. Now, we talked about it deeply in Sunday school this morning. And, and we, we know that there's a lot of theories. There's a lot of differences of opinion. There's a lot of, of different ways of looking at the lesson that we had this morning. And I'll tell you, if you get bogged down in looking at the book of Revelation and trying to figure out and trying to mark this and mark that and saying, well, this is, you know, this has happened, this has happened, you'll go crazy. You'll go crazy. What we, I, as I told the Sunday school class I'm in this morning, I look more at the writings of Paul to Timothy and how Paul described how the church would be in the last days than I do at looking at what's going on in the, now I don't ignore what's going on in the world. I know it has great significance. Every single event that happens in the city of Jerusalem has eternal significance and significance in the return of the Lord Jesus. I, I understand that. But there's greater significance in what Paul said to Timothy in how cold and apathetic and dead the church would be before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's greater, there's greater clarity there in what Paul said to Timothy and what John 
writes through the revelation of the Lord, there's greater clarity to us there in what's happening in the life of the church than in the mysteries of, Re of revelation. Now, you may take me to task and disagree with that. But Paul says very clearly that there will come a day when people will not sit and listen to sound doctrine, sound teaching, and sound preaching, but they will heap up to themselves people who will tell them what they want to hear and who will tickle their ears and who will uh, write um, my best life now, your best life now. If this is your best life now, you're going to hell. Amen? If this is the best life you're ever, you're, you're ever going to know, then after this life, you're, you're going to hell. That's as simple as I can put it. Your best life now is in heaven. And God didn't, God didn't promise you, uh, uh, he didn't promise you everything that they're going to tell you this afternoon on television. He didn't promise you that you'd go through this life without sickness or without pain or without disease. He didn't promise you that he would make you rich and wealthy. All of these things that, that, that we preach today in this prosperity gospel and that we heap up to ourselves and that we want to hear uh, go completely contrary to the life of the Apostle Paul and how the Apostle Paul lived. The Apostle Paul lived a pretty miserable existence if you read his life. But yet it drove him to a place of closeness with the Lord Jesus Christ that we all ought to be envious of. And you know what Paul was looking forward to? Paul was looking forward to the glorious, he was anticipating the glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what's wrong with the church today is we've set aside, there's two distinct differences between the church of Hebrews and the modern church. These people woke up each day looking for and expecting and longing for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in our day and time, in our modern life, we are so comfortable here. We have it so good and so easy here. We don't want to leave here. Why would we want to leave here and go anywhere else? Well, I want to tell you something. I have a pretty doggone good life. It, it's a good life. I have a wife who loves me and two kids who are above average, and, and I, I love them dearly. But if the Lord wants to return and take me home today, I'm ready to go absolutely ready to go that's what i long for that's what we all should be longing we all should be looking and longing and praying for jesus to return and to and 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 these people didn't all only long and look for it and expect it they lived they lived a life as they thought they were going to live it in heaven. They lived a life of joy and peace, and, and, and they lived a life of contentment because that's how they expected to live in heaven. And that's, that's a great difference. We, we need to pray and ask the Lord to keep us humble and to keep us in this position. We need to be praying and longing and looking and telling others that, hey, that day is coming. And, and, and I'm not a prophet. I'm not going to tell you that it's coming today or tomorrow, but that day is coming, and we need to live with a, a sense of urgency in letting other people know. Because as the writer says here, some people are going to neglect gathering as Christ's coming approaches. But Christ's return should make us eager to gather together and to talk about the, our home in heaven and what we can do and how we can live, and how we can be disciples 
and making sure that others are going there with us. So here's our Monday morning moment. Here's the question that we ask ourselves tomorrow morning. What can I do to strengthen the family this week? What can I individually do to strengthen the family this week? How can I pray for this family more? How can I encourage other people in this family more? How can I be of greater service to this family of faith that God has put me into? How, what can I do to strengthen the family this week? That's the question I want you to wake up with on your mind tomorrow. How can I bring unity? How can I bring fellowship? How can I bring peace? How can I disciple someone else? How can I minister to someone, a family who's going through a hurting and a, and a discouraging time? What can I individually do to strengthen the family this week? And I want to give you an opportunity this morning. I don't want to close without giving this opportunity today. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you can't, if you can't point and say, I know for sure that I've been forgiven of my sins and that I am a part of this family that you're talking about, this family of God. I want to give you the opportunity this morning to come and to let me share Scripture with you or let me get a deacon or someone to come and share Scripture with you and tell you how for certain you can know that you're a part of God's family and that you have and that you can begin living with a sense of hope, a sense of faith, a sense of love, and a sense of anticipation. And all the things that I've talked about here this morning. As, excuse me, as Darren comes to lead us this morning, would you stand as we pray? Father, thank you for the opportunity to come to this point again this week. To offer the opportunity for people to come and to know Jesus Christ. Maybe there are people who here who also need to publicly profess their commitment to Christ through following in believers' baptism or joining this church. Maybe there are people here this morning who just want to come and to pray and to thank you for, allowing, for opening the opportunity for them to be a part of the family of God or to pray for someone they know who they know needs to, to be saved from their sins. Whatever it is this morning that we need to do, may we do it and respond quickly to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, would you respond as God lays on your heart?